Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. In today's episode, we're with flight instructor Gary Palmer, and he's joining us to talk about the student bill of rights that he actually created. So I can't wait to talk about that. You know, before we get started though, uh, just want to shout out to our sponsor here. And that's the folks at Spartan School of Aeronautics. And you can find that at spartan.edu. And what they're doing is they're giving away 50 scholarships guides. That's that scholarships guide that we have that has over $120 million in scholarships, giving them away for free using the coupon code Spartan. Where can you find that? Real easy aviationcareerspodcast.com slash free. I really appreciate them over there at Spartan School of Aeronautics and everybody else that's actually contributed through our Patreon account. Well, again, joining us today is Gary Palmer, flight instructor, and uh, somebody who's actually formulated a student bill of rights. Really interesting. And, uh, and I'm excited to talk about this today. Hey, Gary, welcome to the show. Hi, Carl. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, Gary, you have an interesting uh, career and career progression here. Uh, so I'd like to talk a little bit about that before we go into this whole uh, bill of rights that you put together, which is really cool. Uh, so, so tell us a little bit about your aviation background and what you're doing now as far as flying and making money flying. Wow. Um, so in 2010, when my daughter was planning to go to college, she had identified a college that we thought, oh, that's not too far, but it's not too close. And my wife knew I liked the flying and I wanted to learn, but I never did anything. And we had an opportunity and she said, why don't you learn to fly? And then we can fly up and visit our daughter in college and you know, go for the weekend. And I thought, that's wonderful, perfect. I don't think my wife understood what, what she unleashed when she said that. I started taking lessons, I loved it. And that was 2010. In fact, my first lesson was on May Day, uh, May 1st, 2010. So really vivid. My daughter decided to go to a different school. So instead of California, she went to New Mexico. A little far, but I continued. And after I got my private, I just kept learning. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to be a safer pilot, a better pilot. And I thought, well, the FAA has all these other endorsements and ratings. Let me work on those. That's a great way to learn. And that's really what I have done. But in the same time, I have a full-time day job. I'm a uh, information security engineer for a major manufacturer. It's a good job. I've enjoyed it, but I'm starting to get a little tired. And more importantly, I'm enjoying my flying more and more. So I'm looking at this going, how can I do something more? And as I progress, I realized, okay, I can either become a pilot somewhere. Well, I'm starting to get a little old to become a pilot and try and get some seniority. But teaching, I've always, in different capacities, always taught, always been engaged in mentoring people or actually conducting classes. So I thought, I enjoy teaching. Let me combine the enjoyment of teaching and the pleasure of being able to fly. And that's where I decided I would focus my activities. And then last year, I finally completed my CFI. And I'm thrilled with that. I've done uh, a number of biennial reviews, or now we properly call them flight reviews. I've uh, helped some students where they were just trying to get adjusted and, and rub off a few rough edges, especially after a long delay from COVID. And I've worked with a couple friends who said, can you teach me some of the basics so I can see if I want to learn? So I've been able to do that. It's, it's been fun and I've enjoyed it and I'm looking to find ways to do more. And that's part of the reason why I've been listening to all of your podcasts because you actually point out so many different vectors that we could follow to find the to enjoy the continued experience of flying. You know, you are somebody that's you know a great example of the career 2.0 or the encore career type. And I'm glad you brought that up. There are so many things that people can do. And people like yourself that love to teach, oh my gosh, I really like to encourage people like yourself because you obviously love technology <laughs> and you love to share your experiences. And that's awesome. So I really commend you for that. That's great. Thank you. One of the um, experiences I had while I was in my training for my 
private, my instrument, my commercial, the extra pieces of that, the CFI, um, and the endorsements for the commercial, the, the high performance and the complex. I experienced at times teachers who would say, hey, I, I just took a new job at the airline and this is our last lesson together. And my next teacher is like, okay, you know, so we're just going to fly a little bit so I can get comfortable with where you're at. And I was like, oh, I'm paying for another hour for you. And I had a number of other experiences that just helped me understand what I don't like and how some of the teachers are operating. And it's, but it's a, it's a, um, it's built into the industry. There's a number of schools that want to take you all the way through and then get you, help you get that job in the airline. And that's great. But sometimes the students don't understand what their rights are when the schools are doing their parts. And that, that's sort of how I, I came up with this bill of rights. It's, it's to help educate students on how the whole process works. The process itself of aviation, especially at a school, like you said, that uh, cycles through instructors, it, it can actually be quick and efficient. Uh, it And just because they cycle through instructors doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. Sometimes I, uh, I've had feedback because of that. Uh, it, it isn't. It's actually, if it's done properly, it can be better to have multiple instructors. That's for sure. Um, but you put this together because you've seen challenges. You've had challenges yourself. And I think this is a really awesome tool. Like you said, it's, it kind of leads some people through uh, the process. One other thing, by the way, that I like about this, I wanted to say, is that if you're new, uh, a new student, read this. Because this actually, think about this, explains some of the challenges you might go through. And it gives you kind of a roadmap there, which I think is totally awesome. Um, but anyway, let's kind of go through this this uh, Bill of Rights, because that was a great description as to why uh, you put this together. So let's talk a little bit about some of those items. You have about seven items there. Uh, so kind of give us a, a feeling. Like, first of all, you have this access to student training status. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. That's an excellent uh, question on what is what is student status. And you mentioned this, there are schools that cycle through pilots and, or cycle the pilot students through instructors, and they do it in a great way. They have things set up and a process. So the student is making their process all the way along and they're progressing. And even though an instructor will come in, the student doesn't step back. There are some places, some other schools and other experiences where the student has a little bit of a backward step because of the new instructor. And that's not what I was implying. It's the fact that if a student, if there's good progress and status for the student, so the student knows I'm over here, I'm doing this, I'm working on that, and there's something capturing that detail, then another instructor coming in, the instructor can say, well, I'm gonna be new to this student, but I have this information, I can do my homework, and I can go in and pick up where the student left off. So if the student's having trouble with you know, our, all of our favorite steep turns, I'm going to help them with steep turns because I see that as opposed to telling the student, well, let's, let's go through slow flight and I want to make sure you can do slow flight first. No, the status says previous instructor has gone through slow flight. The student is performing admirably. He's acting above the um, airman certification standard. And therefore we're working on, on slow flight or excuse me, steep turns and something else, but slow flight's not a problem. But, and that's what I mean by the training status. So yeah, the, there's typically there's pre-solo, solo maneuvers and cross country for the private. And Within there, if the student knows, okay, I'm getting near the end of all this pre-solo because I see a status report, they can get a little excited and they can know, okay, I'm getting near my solo. This is going to be so much fun. But if, a, if, if something happens in the instructing, then the next instructor picks up where they are. But this, is, this one, access to student training status, is for the student to know where they are. And um, I even use a, I have a graphic that I use. 
It's a circular plot like a bicycle wheel with spokes. Each spoke represents one of the skills needed to pass your check ride. And you can, if you're at the middle of the wheel, you don't have the skill at all. If you're at the middle of the spoke, you're performing it regularly enough that you would meet the check ride standard. And if you're out near the end of the wheel at the, at the rim, you're doing a great job. You know that skill, you've got it nailed and you, you are hundred percent, you're out, out achieving what the standard is. You know, maintain altitude to hundred feet, you're doing it at 50 feet. So, you know, that, that's a graphical representation that can be used to say, here's your status. You're doing good here. You haven't learned this yet and you, you need to learn more over there. You know, coming from a collegiate environment, uh, we see that this status is out there, and uh, and a lot of times uh, I'm spoiled because of that. This this student bill of rights, uh, what you've just described, is number one access to student training status is something we look at consistently, but that's not really true throughout the industry, is it? I don't think so. I never in any of my training. I never had the opportunity, was offered an opportunity, and I don't believe they had the, the materials where I could just look at something and go, so the roadmap from, um, you know, from nothing to private, I have to get all this stuff done. Where am I on this road? And I never had that. Now, I'm, I, I've learned over the years that sometimes just put the head down, trust the instructor, and know that I'll eventually get there. And my private instructor was very good. I have a lot of respect for the man. I think he did an excellent job with me at least. And, uh, but I never inquired and I never thought about asking because I thought, well, I'll just get there eventually. And I was very conservative and I forced him to slow down at times because I just really wanted to learn it. And I didn't realize what I was doing to my own learning pace and everything. And part of it was because I didn't understand where was I, what was, what were, what were his objectives for me? And I, I fear that students don't always ask questions like that. Yeah, I, I think I agree very much so on that. And one of the things that I've done throughout my career and uh, just as some advice to those that are on their own is use a syllabus and use something where like I use Jeppesen, there's other ones out there. And the reason I say that, I always tell my students, what if I'm hit by a bus? I want you to be able to pick up this and know exactly where you are. And through my comments, you and that's where you go to the status, through all my comments, you'll know how you're doing and that instructor can pick up right away. Uh, so hats off to you uh, for this the, the training status. So I get that question often. It's like, well, I'm not a big school. Doesn't matter. It's not that expensive to buy these. There's syllabus. There's all sorts of training materials out there, aren't there? Right. And there's so many ways it can be provided and presented to the student. You don't need big formal things. You don't need a massive app for your phone and, or tablet, anything. But let the student know, hey, this is where you're at. And we did great today. I think you got you know, your capabilities improved. So with the uh, student training status, that's important. You also talk about uh, the student planning. Uh, how is that different? I mean, how is that different from the status? So the status is meant to describe where you're at, what you've done, where you're at. The planning is everything beyond that. So you, you, know, you said the syllabus. If you have the syllabus that shows the entirety of your private and comments are applicable for what you've already worked on. That's the status of how you've done. The remainder of the syllabus is what else is there to do? And again, I had the, uh, I had one instructor when I was working on my complex and the instructor, we had flown several times. I had about 13 hours, 14 hours on it. And the instructor made a comment of, I'd like to fly to Big Bear with you and have you experience the higher performance. It was a turbocharged, high performance, complex, uh, constant speed prop, all that. I'd like to get the experience of you flying at the high altitude and we'll go up to Big Bear. LA is pretty sea level. And multiple times we tried and just never could get that scheduling item to work. And then finally one day, 
as I'm getting closer to my commercial check ride when I needed the complex endorsement. I said, do we have to make that? And the response was, no, I just thought it would be a lot of fun and we'd have a nice flight. And I was like, so could you endorse me? Yes, I will. And, and I got the endorsement right there. And I thought about it later and I thought, why wouldn't the instructor endorse me if they thought that I was ready? And then say, but I'd love to take you, go for a flight up there. And the only thought that kept coming back to my mind was they wanted to go up there, but I was going to pay for, pay for them to be my accompaniment. And I was going to pay for the airplane. And that's part of my reason for the whole concept of the Bill of Rights. Where is it that I should be paying for extra time so an instructor can get some hours in complex aircraft? That I, I realized that while I appreciated the instructor's company and they're good people, I thought that that was a little bit outside of where the norm is. So that's why I mean when I say access to the planning is what is expected of me. Yeah, that was an excellent example, by the way. Uh, sometimes I call that milking the student, not necessarily in this case. That may not be true, but uh, that does happen. And having that access to the planning shows you where you should be and what you're doing. And by the way, uh, you know, I've, I've done a little bit of instructing in my time and I've messed this up. Uh, instructors, you know, mess up here. And this is what's great about this is you kind of bring the instructor back. Like if I do something just because I make a mistake and I forget to stick with the plan and we all do, uh, it's a great way to bring me as the instructor back in line. I think it's great. It's, it's definitely something that an instructor can work with and help everyone stay on track. You know, it, it's, I truly believe that this is not just a student's only item, that this is something when it's executed, the instructor and, and the short opportunities I've had since my CFI, where I've applied it, it, it truly keeps me in mind and mindful. So I could say, yeah, look, um, I'd love to do this activity with you. I think it would make you a better pilot. However, it is not a requirement by the FAA for any of the testing. And therefore, if we work on this, this is outside what you need to know to get your private. So I think it would be good. And I'd like to do this with you. It will make you better, safer, whatever. And then I, and the student can make the choice. And if they say, no, let's stay on my check ride stuff and what I need, then I'll just make a note or tell them make a note that sometime we should work on this, or after you're private, I'll be happy to do a ride along with you and you work on it. But it, it keeps me more mindful of what is it that they need to pay for because they need it for their check ride. That was an outstanding example, by the way. And I, uh, I'd love to hear feedback, by the way, from our instructors out there. Feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com because this is going to be a, this is really, uh, and please direct them to me because I think this is a great idea. Uh, it's, I, I'm going to get a lot of feedback on this and I can't wait to hear about this because it does keep us both on task. But uh, great idea as far as the, the planning. I think everybody should have this, by the way, in their pocket. Even if it's not implemented on a formal basis, it's kind of a nice thing that you could just have them read. They don't have to sign or anything to say, hey, read this. Um, and going towards that, uh, by reading it, you also have some type, you should have some really good access to your instructor, not just under plan. That's actually something that you actually bring in here as point number three, as a matter of fact, uh, which I love the fact that you bring this out. Some great insight, by the way, into this for someone who's, who's fairly new to instructing. And, uh, and I, I think this is terrific. So when we say access to instructor, I'll let you explain. What do you mean by that in part three? <laughs> It means that the student can, should be able to ask questions and, and, and have conversations with the instructor. And honestly, it, it, mean, it could lead to abuse of the instructor by a student. And that's why at the very end, there is a boundary should be discussed and agreed upon if necessary. But it, whenever through all, you know, and as I described at the beginning, 10 years of education and training I've had. And what I found was there were always times I wanted to ask questions or have a discussion, or I love diving deep to find the facts behind something versus getting rid of the myths and lore, folklore and legend. So I would ask my instructor questions, whether it was an email or a text or the occasional phone call. And 
at some times the instructor was always willing to respond and others, the instructor is just, they are there for my lessons and otherwise I really had no access and no communication or no response. And there needs to be something, even if it's a, that's a great point, we should discuss it at your next lesson, let's plan a little bit longer ground, something like that is, is very easy, but the instructor is the safety net, the instructor is the trusted mentor advisor. And if a student asks the instructor a question and there's no response, it starts to lead a student going, what's up here? They're just looking for the time. And yeah, it, you, we need to find a balance because they could totally monopolize time also. You, you bring up one really good point, access to the instructor and uh, having them just get back to you and say, hey, listen, you know, let's talk about this at the next lesson. You know, I'm, I'm having those issues right now. I'm having challenges because the airlines are hiring so much. I am booked, you know, all day long. And it's hard for me sometimes to get back to a student. But I found if I just say, hey, listen, I got your question. I, I really want to get back to you and answer it, but maybe we'll talk about this in the next session or give me a day or two. Can it wait? Because uh, mm -hmm. there are, that's happening again with the instructors. I mean, they're so darn busy right now. You know? And it, I psychologically speaking for anyone who asks a question, if even if the answer is got to get back to you, at least they know they've been heard. If there's no answer, then they're wondering, did you even hear? Do I have the wrong text message or wrong email? It's just to help close the loop. It, you know, I, I believe in closure and that, that even helps. Yeah, absolutely. Going on to the next item here on the list, um, you know, with the scheduling, I think this comes along with it with uh, communicating also. I think we need to communicate this as far as scheduling is concerned, because I've seen this challenge both from the, the student standpoint and also from the instructor standpoint, is this constant, hey, rescheduling saying, hey, listen, I've got this corporate tri uh, trip I want to do and uh, or I have something else that's come up that's, quote unquote, more important. That happens, right? You know, you get yes. sick, et cetera. That's, that's true. But if it starts happening consistently, it can be a problem. And sometimes I have I have a, sometimes a tough time struggling and I struggle with that with certain students. Uh, so this is something that you came up with in a, as a point, a bullet point here, a scheduling of instructor and training aircraft. So tell us a little bit about that and uh, and how you're able to come overcome the challenge like I talk about. So the scheduling is a three pronged stool, so to speak. There's the student, the instructor and the aircraft. And in trying to schedule, you have to get all three together. At a smaller school where there's might, might be only a couple airplanes, it may be that there's a demand for the aircraft and that's a scarce resource. Or if it's a few airplanes, but instructors are getting so swamped with opportunities that the instructors aren't available, that may be the resource. But you're trying to coordinate all three. And once a commitment is made, then that's where you have to really struggle and work to maintain it. So when the instructor says, this is our time, and the student says, yes, I'm there, then both of them should struggle to really do that. Because if the student decides, eh, I had something come up, I want to do this instead, emergencies happen, and I'm not discounting any of that. But sometimes it's, well, my girlfriend or my wife decided that we should do this, and I thought that would be more fun then it's a matter of the priorities. But more importantly, if a student, when a student books an aircraft and an instructor, the instructor is generating their income and the flight school is generating income from the, rest, from the uh, rental. So the student is really helping to pay income to the school and the instructor. And if the student doesn't maintain their commitment and show up or they constantly reschedule, if I called you and said an hour before our lesson, hey, I'm, I'm busy, I can't go. You just have an hour open up or more, probably, it shouldn't be just an hour, and you have no income. And the school's not renting the plane, so they have no income. And it creates turmoil and difficulty on that side. Similarly, if the once it's booked, the student should be, the instructor should be locking in so the student can plan their other activities around their flight scheduling and, and flight training activity 
so that the student has to rearrange simply because the instructor says, yeah, I decided I'm going to start a half hour earlier. So there, there's the other side of the commitment where the student has to maintain the schedule. The instructor shouldn't be shifting that because students do other things. I've had, I know of one school that tells their students, you are here to learn this and you're, we consider you to be full-time student. Therefore, from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m., you need to be at beck and call because if we have a sudden opening for you to be able to fly, you're going to be there and fly. And I know some, I, or I knew some of the students, and they were trying to work other jobs to help pay for their training. And yet they were like calling up the boss going, yeah, I just had a change and I can't come in in an hour. So that upset the student's schedule. And then lastly, you know, the airplane is always the, if it's there and it's booked, you're good unless it goes down for maintenance. But that when I talk about the scheduling, it's it's understanding it's a delicate dance and it's a balance. And the student should realize that they're helping to define the income. And by canceling and postponing, they can really have a lot of effect. And another point to be made, the training aircraft can also be the simulator, right? It's not just the training oh, yeah. aircraft. And that's uh, that's something that we have to make an important point there. But what you said is incredibly important. But you can have, through, through uh, communication, you can have a situation where you're okay with your student canceling all the time. And I will say, to do that, though, you have to make sure that you arrange some kind of an income there for those cancellations. Because, you know, for me, I had students that said, listen, I'm going to be canceling a lot on you. Charge me for the time, period. And and that happens. The one thing you have to be careful with that is if it's not your airplane, which a lot of times it's not, you you have to communicate that with the flight school and say, hey, listen, you know, that plane is not going to get the rental. It's you're going to get your time uh, as far as the flight instruction time, but not the rental time. So you have to, as an instructor, when you come to the scheduling, you talk to the student, but also talk to the flight school if it's not you owning the flight school in the airplane. So that's incredibly that's important. That's uh, an excellent point. Thank you. But but the scheduling is is incredibly important, and if you can uh, put people on standby too, if you're if you're that busy. And that's another part of this in in your in your communications. But yes, rescheduling is not normally in the best interest of everybody. It happens. I get it. There's emergencies, et cetera. Uh, but if you're that type of student, you know, have that arrangement and and make sure you communicate that. Uh, great point, though. Um, the the other thing too that we find in this industry, and we talked about in the beginning, is when we have someone move on to the airlines or to another job, we lose that instructor. And as a student, a lot of times we are like, okay, now what? Well, here's your new instructor is what they say. Well, gosh, I didn't, you know, I, in the beginning, I was introduced to you and you did my intro flight. Now and I'm going to introduce you. you. <laughs> and I like you a lot, but who's this person over here? Uh, so talk, talk us through that. And the next uh, point here, the ability to respond to those instructor changes. So it, you covered the bulk of it right there is the student is seeing is moving along and then suddenly the instructor says, you know, I, I got my dream job and this will be our last lesson together. And by the way, here's Carl. He's going to be your new instructor. And uh, I've briefed him on it. So at that point, I, I briefed him on you. Now, at that point, the student's going, oh, wow, I've been flying with you. I like you. And now I have this new guy. And what what does that mean? So part of it is you have to help the student uh, adjust to the change. But if you have the status and you have the planning activities done, the student knows where they're at. So I say, yes, here's Carl, this is your new instructor. By the way, I've already gone over your, your training plan with him and your status. He knows that we're working steep turns right now. And yeah, he's, he's going to pick up right where I'm leaving off. So you're not going to have discontinuity there. And it's, it's, it should work fine. But in the same sense, if you decide that, you know, Carl is just, we're just not clicking, then you should have the, the ability to say, I would like to change instructors. I'm at this school I'd like a different instructor. 
and you talk to the the chief pilot, the chief training officer, and you say, "Look, it's we're just I just don't feel like it's a click on the personality." And it's okay. It happens. That's normal human interaction. And the school should say, "Not a problem. Here's Jeff. You know, and give us a give us some time so Jeff can read your materials and learn where you're at and pick up with you, and then we'll give you over and you can work with Jeff. But regardless of which instructor you have, you should feel like there's a bond and you should feel that that continuity. And, you know, as earlier you were saying, well, that helps bring the instructor into the, into the program here. It helps keep the instructor mindful of the student flying, learning to fly is expensive. Keeping us mindful of the student expenses so that the, a new instructor doesn't say, well, why don't we just go flying for an hour so I can see how you do things? And I had that experience, and I thought, I don't want to pay for that. And after I paid for it, I went back to the chief instructor at the school, and I said, I don't think that was fair. And he goes, yeah, you're right. I'm going to refund you the hour. And I'm not saying everyone should ask for refunds. I, you know, I, I always consider myself a special case. But it's, it's the, the way the school operates. And some schools operate wonderfully and some a little less than wonderful. And if the student is aware that that changes happen and they're normal, but there are ways to make them smooth, then at any school a student goes to, if there's an instructor change, the student should say, okay, so you're going to pick up where we left off. And if the instructor says, no, I'd like to fly with you, but I'm going to give you one hour free so I can get a handle on it because the previous instructor, he's already gone and didn't give me a good notes. That's, you know, it can happen, but at least it's trying to be fair. So that, that's what I mean by responding to a change in instructors. And one thing, just to add to that point, is some people think that a like a stage check is changing instructors. That's something else that should be communicated early on. Is that the end of stages? A lot of time, I do that all the time. I'm like, hey, I gotta, I have to have another instructor go with you because I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing, and uh, and make them understand this is not an instructor change. So uh, that is where you're responding to instructor changes, knowing that that is just a temporary one lesson change, and it's not you're coming back. Yes. So <laughs> that's another part of that. Uh, it really, I tell you, this is some great stuff. Um, I really find that. We, as an instructional community, need to do a better job sometimes, but there are a lot of people that are doing a great job, and some some big schools out there do a wonderful job in this and say, hey, listen, you have two instructors. If your primary is not available, this is your secondary one. If you don't like that instructor, talk to us, and we will change them. That's it. Uh, and, and that's happened to me. I mean, I've had that where uh, I just didn't fit in with a, a student. We just didn't click. And I found another instructor and they clicked with them. And that's perfect because that's the most important thing is keeping them in aviation. But sometimes this doesn't always work out for a couple of reasons. Like for me, I went to three different schools because I was moving all over the place. I mean, I've been to dozens of schools just because I moved so much in my career. Uh, so when you leave that school, it can be a bit of a challenge, both asking for and receiving maybe your training records. Uh, you know, you you follow the logic in my in my Bill of Rights wonderfully, and that's exactly correct. That's number six: the right to materials if leaving the school. Now, it doesn't give you; it doesn't imply, and I don't mean to imply that the student has a right to take every piece of documentation about them and extract it from the school. Certainly not, but there should be something. If the school is doing a, these are, this is the training plan, this is your path, here's where you are for your status, the student should be able to take that or at least a copy of that and carry it to the next school. So they say, look, I'm, I'm going to start fresh with you, but I'm coming from this other school and here's what they said about where I'm at, what I've learned, what I need to learn, Etc. And whether the uh, lesson plans or the syllabus are in different formats shouldn't matter, but it helps a new school understand this is where you're at, this is what you're working on, and this is what you haven't worked on yet. So they again, it's it's consistency in training, even if you change schools, just like we described earlier for changing instructors. I want to take 
some of the materials. I changed schools twice. And what I've learned, what I learned was both times I got the, so what'd you do? Where are you at? And it was purely discussion. I didn't realize that I could, that there might be something that I could take with me. I certainly didn't have anything. And, you know, they're just looking in the logbook. And sometimes the logs can be very verbose and capture exactly what every training session did. But sometimes the, the between the abbreviations and other things, it may be very obtuse and they don't understand what did I, what, what have you been learning? So having something to, to help prod it along. And there have been many people who have taken very long breaks, years. I have a friend who's rusty pilot for decades, and then he finally decided to get current again. And it was what he had worked on in the past. Now, we knew regulations and radio work. It would be all new. But a lot of his skills just needed to get, get the rust removed. So having something that said, this is where I was, and now I'll continue, made it easier to figure out, okay, we, we can review where you were, make sure that you're okay with that, and then take you further forward. But without some form of documentation, it turns into, let's start at the beginning. You know, as you were saying that, maybe the new electronic logbooks are helping in this because sometimes they can take a picture, put it into the logbook, show where they are. And uh, and I found that, uh, and I'm not, I'm new to that whole thing and, and uh, I'm so used to writing. Uh, you're right. I mean, but having those records, even electronically is so terrific, but uh, having those materials when you do leave does help a lot because sometimes those things aren't recorded within your logbook. And it helps them. It helps you move forward. Uh, there are schools, though, that do uh, not a lot. There are some, the exception, that will hang on to them, won't let you see them. Uh, and uh, and that even happens later if you're someone who's in careers. Later in your career, that could hurt you, just even with recommendations and those type of things. And uh, and that's just that's why doing your research also on that school is important. Maybe showing them this and say, hey, what do you think about this thing? That this, yeah. this, this student bill of rights. Well, that's, that's partly why I mentioned that bicycle wheel plot thing for progress and status. And I'll make sure that you have a copy of it so you can post it because that's a single picture that shows all the, all the skills needed for your private pilot check ride. And I've done similar for the commercial. And you can just easily have, work with the instructor after a lesson goes, so where am I here? And they go, well, we worked on these two skills. So that's these two spokes. You're not at the standard yet. So you're over here because you know how to do it. You're just not there. You're here. And But if you're at the standard, you're there. And, it, and really within just a couple minutes, and the student can carry a printout of this, hand it to the instructor after each lesson, say, give me an update. And they just put a little tick mark on it and say, that's where you are now. And that way, if nothing else, the student looks at it and says, I can see how far I am from performing at the standard for everything necessary. I can see where I'm doing well now. And if I change instructors or schools, I can show them this and say, this shows you a snapshot in time from my last lesson. And it's at least a starting point. It helps. Oh, yeah. Helps tremendously. That's for sure. Now, Gary, another thing that I think is important when we're looking at flight training is, and I have this happen often, especially in my coaching, someone will come to me and say, hey, listen, you know, I've spent $20,000 so far and I don't have my private yet. Uh, is that excessive? And so there's a, there's a lot to unpack from that statement. Uh, one of the things, especially, is understanding what the costs of training are. And, and I think uh, no one obviously went over with them. You know, this is what it's going to cost you. And this is some alternatives, even. And you mm -hmm. actually have included that, which I think is really cool uh, in awareness of cost. That's just one of them. But what else did you mean by having this seventh item as awareness of cost? So the, the first sentence in there says flight training gets expensive. And <laughs> we all know that's the, that's the core, the nut at the center. And for the student to understand. so. Uh, when I first started my private training, and it, it a few lessons in, I had figured it out. But when I first started, I didn't get that flight training is instructor costs and airplane costs. Because 
I'm not even soloed yet. Every time I go to the airport, it's with the instructor in the plane. And this is how much I paid per hour. And even though it said, you know, instructor and airplane as two different line items, I thought, well, that's just an accounting thing. And until my solo, when I was told, now you can solo in the pattern and practice your pattern work, I was like, oh, now I get it. I'm only paying for the airplane. So there's the cost of the airplane and the cost of the instructor. And what I learned, I, I this is my beautiful airplane, my love and pride in, the, in my background here, uh, Cessna 172, Mike model, wonderful everything. Um, after I acquired her, which was 2013, I realized, oh, my training costs went down if I can train in my own airplane. Now I fly pretty much every week. So it, it's, it worked out well for me to have my own aircraft. But in talking to other friends and students, they're like, yeah, I, I don't fly every week or it's too expensive to own my own aircraft. And they're like, so the only other thing I can do is continue renting. And out here in the LA area, a Cessna 172 is typically between $150 and $175 wet rental. So it's, it is not inexpensive. And in talking to people, they, they didn't understand that there are other alternatives, such as a club and also uh, partnerships on aircraft. So you find an airplane, you buy it with a, a few partners, and if you have three other partners, you've just split the cost to 25% is yours. And that really makes a difference in the overall cost and the cost per hour. And I, I didn't realize that until long after I had even purchased, because I was just flying for fun and for my lessons. But when others are looking at us, and especially time builders, because you can get all your training and now you need your hours. And when you're trying to build hours, owning an airplane is expensive, a lot of money up front or a long-term debt. Renting an airplane, no long-term debt, but a lot of money every time you rent. But when you look at clubs and partnerships, the value proposition is much closer to a tolerable. And I actually ran numbers to because I was curious and I like numbers. And I found that you could, if you are in a partnership with an air, for an airplane, a reasonably priced airplane, uh, it'll probably be less than half of the cost of rental aircraft. And a lot of schools, the instructor, they'll let their instructors teach in other airplanes, as long as the planes are proper certified and, you know, inspected and everything else. But you're paying for the instructor's time as opposed to the instructor plus a rental. So it, that, that's what I mean by awareness. No one ever explained it. This was a revelation of mine. Would I have done it different? Well, for me personally, probably not. But that's because if I'm not flying with others, I'm flying for fun. And I like having an airplane that's always available and I don't have to split the time with partners. But otherwise, I would have gone for a partnership. I would have tried to find a plane and find partners, and that would have saved me a fortune from the rentals. Yeah, that's a, some great points there. And when you're out there trying to build time in your career, uh, clubs, uh, also when you're out flying, a lot of people are like, well, I can burn hours just by going around the pattern. Also, think about the type of flying you're doing because yes. you're going to have to build a lot of cross-country time to that point is that maybe if you bring someone along, if you get involved in the club, uh, there's many different ways, partnerships, et cetera. So awareness of cost is something that a lot of times we are unable to help with as a flight school or a new flight instructor because we just don't know. You got to really, and you have to know who you're talking to. So, you know, maybe ask the owner, say, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about joining a club. I'm thinking about doing this. You know, can you tell me what the costs are involved in maybe renting an airplane? Cause a lot of times, or in owning my own, I should say a lot of times, all we know is rental and, and we, right. there's lots of good books out there too, by the way, on how to purchase oh, yeah. and some good organizations like AOPA shout out to them uh, as far as trying to help you uh, with that purchase. Uh, but uh, some yeah. great stuff here, Gary, I tell you, this is awesome. Uh, as far as the Bill of Rights here, you know, you've gone through some some of these major points 
Uh, I think this also, even if if someone's not buying off on this as far as in their flight school, you should still have this with yourself and say to yourself, hey, listen, would you mind going over this with me as as an individual with the instructor, even if the school is not not on board with this and say, hey, you know, what what is it we can glean from this? What kind of information that would help me uh, and move through the process? I think this is absolutely terrific. If, if this can make a student or a brand new pilot or existing students a little smarter on some of the parts in the process that they don't always get training on, then, then I feel that it has been successful. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been successful already. Just us talking about it. Someone's actually hopefully heard this and, and will want to download this. Obviously go to aviationcareerspodcast.com. I'll have it in the show notes. Yes. Uh, and yes, and it's it's actually a great tool, a great resource, uh, and it also obviously will evolve, you know, and like everything else. Um, but I'm curious, what what's the future of the Student Bill of Rights? Are you, are you planning on doing more with it, or is this just a tool for people to use? Um, as I've alluded to, there are things in here that are to the student's advantage, like that little bicycle wheel plot that I use. So. I, I believe that as an advocate for students, there should be more available to them. So even if the, if the student goes to an instructor or a school and says, hey, I'd like to start training here. Um, here here's this thing that I'd like to work with you on that just all you have to do is mark down how well I'm doing or what I'm doing. So I get this quick feedback, but helping to arm students with tools so that they can be better students. Really, that's it. I want a student to be able to say, I am taking an efficient, cost-effective path to gain the skills I need to be to become a pilot, but also to help me recognize there's more beyond that. So I shouldn't just get my private pilot. And, and for some who want to just say, I'm going to do that and be a hobbyist, should they stop or how could they continue to learn and grow? So this is to, to take anyone from I'm brand new, want to learn to fly, to I'm getting my ATP and going into the airlines, or I'm going to become just a GA hobbyist. But what, what can I do to help facilitate that process? And even the, the last one, the awareness of costs, that data applies even after your everything's done if you if you're able to fly do you want to rent an airplane join a club join a partnership or own your own aircraft those are your four options and sometimes everyone's not always aware of them and you brought awareness through this and i think that's a great point uh is is keep this in front of you and uh and just read through it because all of a sudden you might say oh yeah a club or something else. The light bulb goes on. I think this is great uh, moving forward. But Gary, how about you? I mean, how about uh, your future? I know we talked a little bit about you're at that point in life where we may have a, a career 2.0, you know, an encore career. Uh, we'd love to, to follow what you're doing and love to have you back on. But, but what do you think is, is the next step for Gary and his uh, instruction? Oh, role? my, oh, my. <laughs> I need I need that the crystal ball here. Uh, <laughs> I I really enjoy training and or teaching and working with people and helping them and uh, I I do believe that I will be engaged in some form of teaching and training in and uh, airplane instruction. I might work at one. There's a couple local colleges that have aviation programs and I am I'm, I'm looking by the end of this year, early next year, to really start to lock and load on my 2.0 career so that I can execute on it. And it may be formal training and, and op, op, options in a college. It may be tying into a flight school. California has this law that started that makes it very difficult for a flight school to hire contractors. So unless I'm ready or willing to go full-time at a school, it, it, that may be a problem for me, but I may end up being an instructor in a club, uh, instructor in some partnerships, because I'm exploring some options on that, 
or instructing and working through local university. And then there's the whole urban mobility stuff and LA is going to become the proving ground and there's so many different options there and opportunities there that it's like, I, in one year, there may be lots of like, you know, Cessna caravans just flying cargo around LA so Amazon can deliver it faster. So I, I'm not sure where it'll all end up, but it's gonna be a glorious future. Yeah, it's truly going to be a serendipitous journey for you, too, I think. It's going to be a, a wonderful journey. We can't wait to hear more. Uh, Gary, we're going to put a lot of these uh, links onto the website. Is there any place uh, you'd like people to go as far as on the Internet or anything like that? I appreciate that offer, but I do not have a website at this okay. time. I, there is a, uh, a couple guys that have asked me, a couple people who have asked me about working with them and and specifics on finding an aircraft and creating partnerships for time building uh, pilots and that, that, you know, they're working on it and they're called time to fly with two Y's at the end of the word. Um, but right now they only have a Facebook page. They're working on a whole number of other pieces. That's it. I do have uh, pilot Gary at pilot Gary is my Instagram handle and I post pictures from flying around LA. That's pretty much what goes on that feed. Well, we'll definitely look for that. I mean, it's wonderful looking at pictures of airplanes and uh, everybody gets inspired. I love Instagram. That's one of my favorite things. And uh, because there's hardly any politics and there's not much chatter there. And I think it's it's terrific. It's very inspirational. Gary, you've been really inspirational. I think this is a terrific tool. Uh, the the actual flight students bill of rights, the student bill of rights, I think is a terrific uh, tool. Uh, go to aviationcareerspodcast.com to download that. I uh, really appreciate you coming here today. And maybe uh, you might come on again to tell us about your journey towards your career 2.0. I would love to. I'll let you, we'll, we'll stay in touch on that one. And I will send you a number of pictures of LA scenery and stuff so that you can, others can look and go, God, it must be fun flying there. Well, next time I'm in LA, I'll look you up and we'll go uh, do some flying. Maybe get a, get a, get a picture for the Instagram. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Excellent. You're, you're on. Awesome. Well, Gary, again, thanks so much. And and we appreciate people like Gary doing things like this because he's taken the time to put together this student bill of rights. And I highly recommend you going and downloading it from aviationcareerspodcast.com. Uh, but one of the things I'd love you to do is to not just don't don't hit stop yet. Don't don't stop right where you are. Make sure you keep going through and continuing on. And doing that is very important because a lot of times when we're listening to podcasts, we're watching things, we don't take any action afterwards. But I would like you to do something for me today. And that's to take one step today to move forward in your career, your aviation life, just by maybe looking up the the student bill of rights, maybe looking into some of the things that Gary's doing uh, online with Instagram. Get, get involved, but don't stop here. Make sure you take one step today to move forward in your career and your life. Well, folks, we really appreciate your listening today and watching to us on YouTube. Give us a thumbs up if you like that, because that's how we get paid is in just, you know, people, you know, talking to us and, and, uh, and giving us thumbs up because we love bringing this to you. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research.